I don't know if you have missed it, but a big book was released in the last few days. Let's be honest, who's already got it? One. Put your hand down quickly, quickly. <laughs> David Cameron's memoirs with a promise of insider scoops about the referendum uh, and what went on over that and about the man himself. And regardless of who the person is, the subject, these books, these sort of books are common, aren't they? And they often make their headlines for what they reveal as we get to know the people behind the headlines and the ripples that they cause, whether it be in the palace or elsewhere. We love these sorts of books, these sorts of TV programs, all about getting to know the real person behind the headlines. It's interesting, isn't it, that we want to know the truth about the celebrities that we idolize. We want to know about our politicians. We want to know about those people we read about. There's a whole industry about getting to know the real people. And yet, according to research... We want to know about others, but we don't want people to know about us. In some research a couple of years ago, when it came to how we use social media, less than 20% of us said that we gave a completely accurate reflection of our lives and who we are. The way we use social media is to distort reality about our lives. So we want to know the truth about others. We don't want people to know the truth about us. As this quip says, which I love, if my life was half as good as I claim it is on Facebook, I wouldn't need to be on Facebook. <laughs> it's a strange thing, isn't it? That we need to know the truth about others, but we struggle to let others know the truth about us. And I wonder if that's because it gets to the biggest fears that we have. This quote that we've reflected on a number of times, I think, resonates deeply from Timothy Keller. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be loved by people who don't really know us, that's great, isn't it? Anyone can do that. Anyone can be popular if we present something that is very lovable. But that's not really loving us, is it? That's loving a caricature of us, who we perhaps wish we were. We really long to be loved as we really are, to be known and loved. And isn't that why it's so painful when those relationships closest to us are fractured, because those people probably know us the best. And when love is fractured, it hurts deep for the rest of our lives, doesn't it? Well, in this psalm that was read to us, an ancient song, if you like, the, the, the hymn book of the Bible, we come face to face with an astonishing truth. We come face to face with one who really does know us, in fact, who knows us even more than we know ourselves and has wide open arms for us. And for some of us in this room right now, we are on a journey of getting to know God and we're beginning to realize that there is one who knows everything, everything about your world, your life, who you are. 
and loves you beyond your wildest dreams. So listen to these opening verses again that was read to us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word's on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You may have picked up even in those verses, there are different descriptions of the way that God knows us. He knows us. He perceives us. He's familiar with us. These three words are important. These are basically what they mean. The word know is to understand by seeing. So God knows the truth because he sees the truth. He hasn't just read an article about you or been told about you. He sees it all. He knows you. That word perceives is more about having the correct understanding of somebody. He doesn't just look at the filters that you put on Instagram and say, oh, that's Tim. He sees the real you, the real me. He sees through the filters we put on social media, the filters we present to other people, the masks we wear. So knowing he sees you, doesn't just read about. He knows the truth. He perceives you. And that word, he's familiar with all your ways, all our ways. It's an intimate word, family, familiar. He's intimately aware of who you are, not just knowing about you, stuff about you. He knows you. We had friends to stay a little while ago, and these are good friends of ours, but they've never stayed over before. And there's that weird moment in the morning where you're all in pajamas. Have you ever had that? And it feels a bit weird because you know these people, but suddenly you've never known them like that. It's something strange, and it takes you to a whole other level, doesn't it? A friendship where you see you in your pajamas, wow, and no makeup and all of that. Let your mind go where it needs to go. That's fine. But it's deep, intimate knowledge that God has, not just knowing about, but also deep intimacy. That's why in the Bible, the word knowing is often in the older versions of the Bible linked to that relationship, that sexual relationship between husband and wife. Adam knew Eve. I always remember when I was a younger, younger, of course Adam knew Eve. They were there. Oh, oh, Adam knew Eve, right? God knows us intimately. He knows everything about us, the facts, the facts, and is intimately committed to us. Or if you like, he gets you and has really got you. The real you. Let me illustrate this with two football-related stories. Apologies for those who aren't football fans. Liverpool fans, oh dear, well done, Tim. Liverpool fans will remember, and we'll shout it out loud, the Champions League final last season. And you may remember this photo. I certainly do. 
with Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, and Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool captain, after the final whistle. And just that beautiful sense of Jordan Henderson kind of breaking down, wow, we've done it, and the joy and the kind of relationship there. Great photo. I saw this Father's Day card, which I absolutely love. You know that feeling when you see Jurgen Klopp cuddling his captain after winning the Champions League? I love you more than that. <laughs> Brilliant. A sense of intimacy and commitment. They've been through the journey together and got this far, and a Father's Day card saying, I love you even more than that. But there was another photo that some will have read about, some will have seen on that Champions League final. A photo of Jordan Henderson again, but this time with a different man, his father. And right at the end, it was a deeply moving Google it on YouTube and stuff. It's an amazing little moment where his dad, who had battled cancer, and finally Jordan Henderson sees him in the crowd and kind of comes through, and there's photographers all around. And it lasts for a few minutes as they embrace. And this isn't just a, yay, we won embrace. There is a depth and outpouring of intimacy and knowledge here because these are people who know each other, know the journey that they've been on, yet deep, deep affection. I've got you, son. It's that kind of knowledge that God has about us. Or another football photo. Apologies to the rugby fans. <clears throat> You'll be leaving in a few minutes to go and see England play. Anyway. <laughs> Another photo, this time from the World Cup. And you may remember that England did way better than anyone expected, getting to the semi-finals and losing, sadly, to Croatia in the semi-final. And Gareth Southgate, the England manager, was lauded, praised, brilliant. And there was this photo at the end, which I just found very moving, and it's this. Him with his wife, after all the crowds have gone, the paparazzi, apart from this one photographer, disappearing down for the kind of media interviews. And it's a beautiful photo of somebody who knows the real story. This isn't Gareth Southgate presenting himself to the media. She knows him. She's got him. And in amongst all of the pain, all of the hope, all of the emptiness, they have got each other. That is the kind of knowledge that this talks about. In fact, even more than human relationships, whereas people do get to know us, it does change how they think about us. God knows everything about us and has that deep commitment to us. He's more committed to us than any human relationship. Even the most intimate and committed people God is deeper in his knowledge of who you are. Have you ever had that moment where somebody you know really, really well, maybe a family member, maybe a close friend that you've done life with for decades, and suddenly you're on holiday together and they say something and you go, what? Where did that come from? Or somebody you know and love and suddenly they do something that is just so out of character. You go, what? what? There is none of that with God. He knows you. Listen again. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. He sees everything. You can never hide from him. And not only that, even before you were born, 
Listen to these stunning words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when you were made in the secret place. God knows you and has always known you and knows the real you. In a moment, I've invited somebody to come up and they're going to share their personal reflections on some aspects of this psalm. Because the impact of the truth of this changes everything. We get a picture of the God who made you and loves you in the midst of all that you know about yourself. He knows our motivations. He knows our knowledge. He knows our hopes. He knows our dreams. He knows our backstory. He knows me. He's always done so and is fundamentally committed to us. So after John in a moment shared his perspectives, what we're going to do is going to kind of come to land about what that means for us. But now I'd love to invite John Goodliffe to come up. John, you may know, uh, last summer finished, well, this summer just gone by, finished university. And he's spending a year with us on the staff team, kind of spending it doing some stuff with us, doing some brilliant stuff, getting to know Jesus more, growing in who you are, getting a sense of God's calling for your life. And I invited John to give a bit of his personal reflections on this psalm. So why don't we give John a round of applause? John's going to speak for us. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Um, I think uh, it's really interesting hearing what Tim had to say because we've not really discussed what I'm about to say. And actually, a lot of what I'm saying and what I took from the psalm is really similar from, to, to what Tim was saying. I think the thing that um, struck me the most was uh, the, the phrase, search me, which comes up right at the start and then right near the end of the psalm. Um, and I think the reason why that caught my attention to begin with was because uh, it just reminded me of, you know, that, that figurative expression we use when we, when we don't know something and we say, oh, search me, I don't know. And that just really struck me because actually, you know, you might, you might want to investigate me and try and find out something about me and you won't find it. But actually, uh, God's understanding is completely the opposite to that. Um, and I, that just, I just thought, wow, that's great. Um, and uh, because he does know and he has got the information. And uh, so, so first one says, um, you, you've, known, uh, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. And what's great about that is God's put the work in already. He's already done the searching. He knows us. Um, and as a result, he knows us really intimately, like Tim was saying. Um, and then in verse four, it talks about how God knows us completely. You know, even before a word is on our tongues, he knows exactly what is going on inside of us. And, um, and it's that total kind of intimate understanding that's just too, too much for us. It says, you know, um, it's, uh, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for, for me to attain. Um, but I think the challenge of the psalm is to really say those words, search me, um, and to really mean them. Because actually we can say, search me, Lord, but not really register what we're what we're actually asking God to do. Um, and, and actually, it, it's an invitation, isn't it? It's a request. It's, it's a kind of act of submission, almost, on our part. Um, it's us saying, God, please come here, be with me, draw near. Um, and then in verses 5 and 7, it talks about um, God hemming us in and that real tight enclosure. And it made me think of kind of the hem on a piece of clothing, how it really tightens everything in together and actually 
he's before us and behind us. Um, and uh, it talks about, you know, how we can't escape from his spirit. Where can I go from your spirit, Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? Um, and actually, it's that real, real tight closeness that God has with us that is just so uh, incredible, I think. Um, I heard a really great quote saying, um, God is closer to me than I am myself. God is closer to me than I am to myself. And that kind of made me think, oh, gosh, that's that's pretty close <laughs> and that that's the the intimacy that 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 we get with when God draws near to to search us it's that real close tightness um and I think that's that's a real comfort because um that means that God's with us he's got his hand over us he's really uh, watching over us and it's that intimacy isn't it that we as as humans long for um but I think it's also a hard thing because do we really want God to to do that, to search us? Do we really want all our kind of hidden secrets and all our, um, it says in verse 24, all our um, offensive ways to to be kind of brought out into the open? Um, I'm not sure if I do, to be honest. Like that's a scary kind of request to make, isn't it? Um, But by asking God to search us, we're asking him to kind of, really look closely at us to examine us and scrutinize us. Um, and that's, that's a big, scary challenge, I think. Um, and actually, not only that, we're asking God to change us. And I don't know about you, but I have always hated change. Whenever there's been anything in life that has had to change, any kind of transition, it's been really, really difficult. And I think we as, as, as human beings really struggle with change. And so by asking God to do that, to come and to, to search us, that, and, um, then that means that we need to be ready to, to be changed. Um, but and then, in fact, we actually we, we see that God's already done that. First one says, "You have searched me, and you know me." You know that's already taken place, and uh, and as a result of of searching me and and looking into me and perceiving me, like Tim said, you know me, and I think, wow, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, so actually that phrase "search me" it's used as both as an, as an imperative, as a kind of invitation, but also as a as a declarative, as a as a comment, you know. God, come and search me, but also you have searched me. And I think that's really great that actually we can say both things and both things are equally valid and equally true about God. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we read about God's really deep understanding of us in the passage. You know, in the first few verses, we, it talks about how God knows us and perceives us and discerns us. And that's kind of put in the context of a few verses later, where it talks about how he created us and knit us and, and wove things together. Um, and to me, that's, like Tim was saying, the kind of joining of the factual knowledge of us with the, the, the relational understanding. And actually, it's talking about how, well, I see it as God's talking about how um, he knows about us because he knows us. It's like, um, you know, if there's an artist or a sculptor creating some piece of amazing work, and they spend time creating it, observing it really carefully, uh, working on it tirelessly and so they know it really well and just in the same way God knows about us because he knows us and I think that's really amazing
So what do we do with this? I think there's a few things that are worth us reflecting on. <laughs> that the more we get to know him, we realize how much he knows us, and therefore who he is in our lives changes. Because there's some truths for us and for our city that are really worth reflecting on. And the first is this, that he knows our past. If all of this is true, then he knows what is in your past. And what's interesting about that is if you're anything like me, past becomes a little bit blurry. There are some things that are so real, but if we're honest, some of what happened then becomes a little bit mixed and we're not quite sure. And situations have happened where, where we weren't quite sure what our motivations were at the time and exactly what happened. We know how it feels now. The beautiful reality is that God knows our past. He knows your story and the facts about it, which is immensely freeing. It really is. We don't have to be the ones who've got it all. He's got it all. He knows your past. And so even that stuff that you're really deeply ashamed of, God knows it. In fact, he knew it from the beginning. And as we'll see in a moment, he has nothing but wide open arms for you. He knows your past. The second thing, which is very closely related to that, of course, is that he knows our hurt. You won't have escaped the tragic headlines about Jeffrey Epstein and all of that story and all of the claims and all of the kind of drama around it. And isn't it good to know there is one who does know? And for those of us, for whom we have stuff in our story that is awful, God knows even if nobody else does. And dare I say, there are bits in the psalm that we didn't get to because it you know, goes on and goes on a bit, but there are bits in the psalm that as you discuss in the groups, it kind of flicks and you suddenly think, I wouldn't have put that in the psalm because it starts talking about evil and all of this. And we struggle with those bits, I think, because largely many of us have lived lives in the comfortable West. But isn't it good to know for those of us who've been the victims of abuse, for those of us who've been the victims of mass trauma, for those genocide victims, for those across history that have been stomped on and nobody's seen because they're the little people, there is one who knows. That's good news that God sees evil. It is. It's immensely liberating. So he knows our past, he knows our hurt, and how real that is. But of course, he knows our present too. And he's already mentioned about baptisms. I guess there's some of us who follow Jesus, but we've never been baptized because we think, I'll do that when my life is all sorted. You'll never get there. God knows your stuff. He knows your world. And baptism is simply a declaration of saying, I acknowledge all that Jesus has done for me. I, I want to live for you with all my flaws. And so can I encourage you, if you do follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, please do think about it. Such an amazing thing to do as you're saying before others to Jesus, yep, yeah, I'm on your team because of all that you've done. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to Andy afterwards. Love to chat a bit further. He knows what's going on right now in your world. He sees it. He sees the motivations, he sees the conversations, he knows it all, which is great news. Uh, but also he knows our future, and he knows what that future looks like, even if for us at the moment it is scary. 
for those of us facing test results, for those of us with uncertain questions. Listen to these words. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. No matter what our future holds, the cross of Jesus tells us, even in the greatest darkness, there is light. He knows and he can be trusted. He's got your future. The cross shows it. And the cross shows with all of that knowledge just how much he is committed to you. Because as John said, it could be terrifying all this knowledge if we didn't know that this God was for us. If he knew it all and we had no idea, boy, that's terrifying, isn't it? And yet the cross of Jesus shows us that he is committed to us. And that word committed, I think, we talk about God's love a lot, but actually he's committed to you, despite you letting him down. He's committed, he's got you. The kind of knowledge won't change his commitment to you. That's worth shouting about, which is why we simply run Alpha. We run Alpha because this is good news for all of us, and this is the news our city needs to hear. Our city full of people who are hiding things because of fear of not being fully loved if we fully knew them. Colleagues that we have, friends that we have, family members that we know, maybe even people in this room, in a society where we pull on masks to pretend so that people love God takes off the mask and says, I love you, with wide open arms. So can I ask if, if you know him? Do you know this God? It might be that you've come along to church recently and you're beginning to discover there's good things here. This is good news. Stuff is happening in your life you can't quite put your finger on and you really need to realize that God is at work. Maybe even this morning there's an opportunity for you to say, Lord, I'm yours. Please show me what that means. Thank you that you know me. Thank you that you love me. Please let me put my hand in yours. Or maybe you've got people in your world, your sphere, who you know need to know this. And so we've got Alpha coming up. Simply invite them. It's a brilliant opportunity to explore questions about who Jesus really is. That's what our city needs to know.